Welcome to the Mind Muscle Connection Podcast, a show that is dedicated to educating you on applying science-based training, nutrition, and mindset strategies from some of the top minds in the industry to help you build a leaner, stronger, and more confident self. I'm your host, Jeff Hain. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mind Muscle Connection podcast. Today is a Q&A episode and I have three questions I'm going to answer from Instagram. And also, uh, this is going to come out on December 26th, so I hope you had a great Christmas. Um, Before I dive into the topics and the questions, I do just want to go over a few ways you can help support the podcast. So if you found this podcast to be helpful or useful in any way, could you please leave a rating and review? Uh, That way, you know, more people can see that it is a helpful podcast. So that would be greatly appreciated. Second, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at jeffh91 underscore. That's where I'm most active content wise. Then I have my email list. And with that, I just send out multiple pieces of content per week, keep you up to date on all my content that I have that goes out for the week. And uh, you also have access to any um, offers or anything like that, that I have going on. And then lastly, I have my one-on-one online coaching service. And with that, I just hope you look better in a swimsuit. We built some muscle, lose some body fat. And I think the big thing for people is we're obviously going to get a good training program, a good nutrition program that's geared towards your individual needs and goals. But we're also going to dive deep to see, you know, what your limiting factors are and, and things that are really holding you back from seeing the results you want. And so if you're interested in that, you can, uh, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, to set up a call. And within that call, we'll just chat a little bit more about your goals and if you are going to be interested in the program and what it entails. Um, so you're not obligated to anything, but it's a good way to get the process rolling. So with it being the new year, if you're thinking about getting started on that, fill that out, or you can reach out on Instagram and we can have a conversation before uh, setting up a phone call. So with that out of the way, let's dive into the questions. So first question I have is how to progress in a mesocycle volume-wise after deload some thoughts. So first, what is a mesocycle? Because I think people get confused as to what that is. It's just terminology. Basically what it is, is it's just a training phase. It's like a four to eight week training cycle. Um, But the kind of definition that it's been given is a mesocycle. So that's what a mesocycle is. But I would say this is going to be very dependent on things like how high your training volume was and your training age. Um, You know, that's going to be very Different. So like what I meant by that was in terms of training age, if you've only been training for like three to six months, we're probably not going to make any adjustments there. And you're probably just going to be able to really just kind of cruise through for, you know, the first six to 12 months. Um, You're not really going to have to worry about like changing up how you progress things and, and whatnot from uh, like one training phase to the next. You're just probably going to be able to progress and not really have to worry about this. And so that's kind of what I meant there. But so if you've been training for a little bit longer than that, you are probably going to have to change it's going to, your, your progressions are going to be a little bit more wave-like. And what I mean by that is, is the training phase go on, goes on, they're going to go up and then you deload and then you are going to come back. Uh, You're going to start probably a little bit lower and then you're going to come back up. So it's going to be a little bit more wave-like it's progressing over time, but it's going to be, it's not just going to be linear. It's going to be, it'll be linear over time, but when you zoom in, it's going to be a little bit more wave-like. And so also I want to kind of go over what a typical mesocycle looks like for clients and what I typically do. So again, it's about four to eight weeks. Um, and then we'll take a deload after that, and then we'll go into a new mesocycle, right? So deload is just a week where you go a little bit lighter. So for somebody that is a little bit more, you know, maybe even training f- for a little bit longer than six to 12 months, 
Brady will take that deload. And then what do you do that first week back? Do you just go back to what you were doing before? Or do you kind of change things up a little bit and like dial back your intensity? And again, if you're new, you haven't been training for that long, you're just probably going to be able to just not have to do that. You can just keep progressing and you'll be fine. But if you're somebody that's been training for a little bit longer, you are going to have to be in that more wave-like. So what I generally like to do is start week one around numbers from week three or four. Let's say it was a five to six week mesocycle. You're going to pick you're going to kind of go around what you did uh, in terms of numbers like weight and stuff. You'll probably go uh, from around your week three to four numbers. Um, volume, you could, you know, maybe, it, again, it's going to be dependent on what you were doing, but I, I think a good rule of thumb is that like week three-ish number there um, in that in that like uh, five to six week mesocycle. Um, and then you go from there. But really the biggest thing is, and that first week after deload, you just don't want to go straight into like super tough training. I see some clients do this where we obviously fix this over time, but this is a very common thing that we work on for a while is clients will, they'll deload and then they'll go back to what they did literally the week before the deload. And then they try to progress from there. And what happens when you do that? That's, that's fine. It's not like you're not going to see results, but you being able to push that long-term is going to be where you'll run into issues. You'll start to run into fatigue issues. Um, it's going to be really hard to continue to progress. And, and, and so, and you increase injury risk. And so usually if that first week you kind of just pick up where you left off, it's going to be really hard once you get to like week two, three, four to continue to progress. And then that's where people run into issues of like feeling burnout and stuff like that. And it's hard to get consistent. And you could see like a few more missed sessions because one thing that I've been noticing a lot lately too is, you know, the, the mental side of things is super important going into uh training. And if, you know, you feel like you have to really push yourself or exert yourself or, um, or, you know, it's just going to be a challenging session. Cause last week it was like super hard to add weight or add reps or whatever it may be for some people that is a barrier to getting into the gym and they could be less likely to want to, um, go into the gym and potentially skip workouts, right? So what I have clients do is in that first week, we're easing into it and we're building a foundation. It should be, it shouldn't be deload. Like you shouldn't be training like a deload, but it should be a little bit of an extension of a deload in that first week. Um, and then from there you start to progress, right? And then the last week of a training phase typically is going to be the hardest one. Then you deload and then you rinse and repeat. So I would say a good rule of thumb if I had to give somebody numbers here, if they don't, if they can't invest in a coach or anything like that is start out week one and like what you did around week three, and that should be a good place to start. And then you progress from there. And then you can see where this becomes more wave-like where, you know, in week four or five, that's where you're starting to be last mesocycles numbers. Um, it's not, Hey, week one, you're beating the previous mesocycles numbers. Um, I think a lot of people can get a little confused with that and that's where they can get, feel like they're getting stuck. Um, because they're not progressing every single session week over week. Like, again, there's going to be some weeks that you aren't going to be doing your absolute max. And I think the same thing with people's body composition, they think that they should have their best body composition 24 seven, and that's not going to be realistic, right? Um, you're going to have some times where maybe your physique isn't as good as it was in your fat loss phase, but you know that the, the long-term goal is to improve it. And that's where we're going to go rather than like always feeling like you need to be your top. And that's, where I think most people get themselves into trouble with fitness long-term is feeling like they need to be on top of everything 24, seven, 365, and it can just be unsustainable long-term. So that's how I would progress in a mesocycle volume uh, after a deload. Next question is 
How powerful is cardio to break through fat loss plateaus? I'm seeing better results in my, uh, this particular person was in their photo shoot prep. I, I kind of dove into this a little bit more um, with increasing cardio than reducing my calories. <clears throat> so basically this person was, you know, I guess they ran into a plateau, weight started to kind of um, slow down a little bit. And then they, they did more cardio and they, and things went going forward again. Um, and I would say it, it, it's, it is very, it can be very pow powerful if it gets you into an energy deficit. Okay. And so what I mean by this is we know that in order to lose body fat, you have to be in a calorie deficit. And ultimately that could be done through a combination of more activity or, uh, uh, decreasing your food intake. Right. And, and typically it's going to be a combination of both. Uh, when you're in, when you're in a fat loss phase, you're probably going to see both. So what could happen here in this situation is, you know, maybe you don't really move cardio very much. You keep your, like, let's say, let's go from a step standpoint. Let's say you're doing 8,000 steps or yeah, 6,000 steps per day. You don't change that. You do decrease your calories. You are going to see, you know, if, so long as you, you're at the core intake that you, uh, the calories that you take away, so long as that's enough and it gets you into a calorie deficit, you'll see weight loss go down. Now, you know, again, maybe your body adapted to it. Um, or maybe you started to potentially like, maybe you thought you were eating a certain amount of calories, but you're actually eating a little bit more. So you ended up being closer to your maintenance. And then you all of a sudden are like, man, I'm not seeing the results I want. So now you throw in more movement and say, you go from like 6,000 steps to like 10,000, like that is going to be something that can put you into a calorie deficit right now. The thing here with this is you just want to be careful and not be like, oh, well, it's because of the cardio that now I'm losing. It's no, it's because whatever you're doing before you ended up being at maintenance, you added in more activity and that got you into that calorie deficit. So that's where it can be powerful, right? If, you know, what you want to be careful with is like moving forward being like, oh, I don't really need to change how much I eat. <clears throat> I just need to add in more cardio. And then you rely on that to for fat loss because you think, oh, that's the magic thing that I need to, to lose fat. And again, if you're not in a calorie deficit, it doesn't matter. Um, I will say that if you were to just pick one or the other, you you 9.9 .9 times out of 10, you want to pick, you want to at least have some sort of reduction in food intake, right? I I, I just feel like that's going to be more sustainable um, and more practical for most people rather than just increasing your cardio because you would have to do it by a pretty good amount. And over time, you could start to see some kind of uh, adaptation to that where, you know, maybe whatever amount of cardio you did burned, and I'm just making up numbers here, but whatever cardio you did, maybe you burned 100 calories, now it only burned 70, right? So there is some compensation there as well, too, that you need to um, be careful with. But what I'll say about this uh, in terms of cardio and, and breaking through fat loss plateaus is it does allow for a little more flexibility in terms of the amount of calories you can eat and still be in a deficit. Um So that, that's a big thing there, right? Is it's going to give you a little bit more flexibility with like, if you don't do, if you don't really increase your activity levels, it's like, you just have a little bit less flexibility in terms of how much food you can eat and, and still be in that deficit. Um, or if you increase it, right? If you already are doing a, a good amount and you just increase more, um, it can just get you into a larger deficit if you don't change the amount of food that you eat. Increasing fewer or eating fewer calories and increasing movement are both tools you can utilize to get into a calorie deficit. And I utilize both for clients. Um, and so that's, that's really how you, that's how you, you would go about it, right? You, you kind of have the option there where if you run into a fat, la fat loss plateau, you have to look at adherence, see if that's on point. Cause that's one that 
does get challenging as your fat loss phase goes on. So see if adherence is there. Um, this is where I would typically run like an energy audit. Um, I've made multiple posts about that. If you have any questions on that, I did. Um, I've again, made a podcast episode on it. If you have questions on it, you can reach out. So you do an energy audit, see where that's at, say everything's good from there at that point, then you kind of have the option of, do you want to decrease your calories? Do you want to increase your movement or do you want to, um, do a combination of both? And Ultimately, what you have to decide is, okay, if I do, if I decrease calories, am I going to be able to sustain that? Or is that going to be, it's like, Hey, I'm already not eating a lot. So I don't really want to eat less. Or if you want to increase cardio again, your question is, would I rather do that than decrease the amount of food I'm eating? And can I sustain increasing my cardio? Is it practical for me? Because, you know, say you're at 10,000 steps and then you go to like 15,000. Is that practical for you? Can you hit that day in and day out? Or would it just be easier if you do a little bit of a combination of both? You know, maybe you don't decrease calories by 150, you do maybe 75, and then you add like a thousand or 2000 steps, right? You just make kind of small changes there with either, but ultimately you have to figure out what's something that you can stick with and what you're going to be able to do. And that's what we do with clients there in that situation. So just to sum it up, cardio can be very powerful to get you through a fat loss plateau if it ends up getting you in a larger deficit or in a deficit if you're not in one. And then lastly, what's your opinion on two to four hard working sets per muscle per week instead of six to 10 sets? I do two to four hard sets with lots of rest pause training methods and then doing more straight sets. So first, what are straight sets? What are rest pause sets? Straight sets are basically your your just typical way you would train. You do eight, I'm just making up numbers here. You do eight to 12 reps and then you would rest for two to three minutes, go into your next set, rest two to three minutes going, right? It's just your regular way of training, probably the most popular way. And that's obviously... The most popular, probably the most practical, and I would say the where you want to spend most of your time uh, if you can. Rest pause basically is there's different ways to do rest pause, but you know just, just to kind of give you an idea here of what this would be, it's basically like say you you could do you do like a straight set and then you rest for like 20, 20 to thirty seconds rather than two to three minutes, and then you get like five really hard reps. Um, so it's a way to increase training volume without having to like do a bunch of extra sets, right? Um, it, it can be a way to get more volume in and uh, again, not have to dedicate a ton of time. So it can be a time-saving thing or just a way to, I had a, a podcast episode with Jordan Lips on this. This can be a, a way to add in more volume without feeling like, oh man, I have to wait two to three more minutes. I have to do a whole nother set. Um, so it can just be a practical way to, to, to add in more training volume. So I would say the the way that the, the question this person asked is, what are my thoughts on this? And my first thought is there's a lot of variability when it comes to muscle growth and what volumes are effective. There's a lot of different ways that you can get there. And ultimately you need to figure out what works best for you. Um, so if it works for you and you're seeing good results, then keep doing that. Okay. I wouldn't be like, Oh, Hey, no, you, that that's bad. What you're doing. If you're seeing results doing it, then it's obviously a solid strategy for you. Um, so and, and there is a large variability in like for, for some people, lower volume, they can get away with lower training volume. And, you know, some people have to do higher training volumes to see muscle growth, right? How do you know? I mean, you just really, it really just has to be trial and error um, there with it, unfortunately. But there is a large variation from person to person with that. Now, what I say, now what I'll say about this specific approach about kind of basically this is like a higher intensity, 
uh, lower volume approach to building muscle. And I think this approach can work because you really dial in your quality of training, right? This is one thing that, you know, people, they hear volume helps with muscle growth. So then people just do like a ton of training volume, right? They do a ton of volume, like, oh, I just have to do more, 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 more. And when that happens is it kind of waters down your quality. At least there's a higher risk of it watering down your quality because you have so much to do. Um, so it's like quality just can't, is, can, can go down. Whereas if you know, you have two or four sets of muscle group, like you're going to put, you're more likely to put your all into those two to four sets. So it's, it can be a good way to improve your workout quality there. Um, however, there are some downsides to this approach where some people just don't like those super intense sets through each session. Um, cause you really do have to be on it. Um, and those sets can be intimidating knowing that you have like one real, you know, one really hard set where you really have to push it. Like those can be uncomfortable for people. And so having some more volume where you don't necessarily have to give it, you know, 110% for each set can be helpful mentally for some people. I know I like a little bit more moderate volume approach. I'm definitely not high volume, but I'm not low volume either. I like that more moderate approach to it where, you know, I definitely give good effort on each set, but it's not like 110% on every single set. Right. Um, so you do have to, to weigh that out. And I do think sometimes a higher intensity approach can be a little bit tougher on the joints. So you do have to be careful with like technique and, and form and, and whatnot there um, in that regard. But in saying this, if you aren't seeing the results you want, then increasing your volume could help a bit. So if this is you and like you're doing this kind of higher intensity, low volume approach and you're not seeing the results you want, I think increasing your training volume is going to be very helpful there for you uh, to see if if that's something you can do. Or maybe you back off the intensity, increase the volume um, and whatnot. Now, maybe you've been doing high training volume, not seeing the results you want. Maybe you drop your volume a little bit and give that a try and improve your workout quality to see if that's something that can benefit you. What I'll say on this also is training volume also changes from like muscle to muscle, right? So for example, for me, my legs, I can get away with very low leg training volume and they'll grow. For some people, they have to do high amounts of volume for their legs, but maybe their chest, they can do less, right? So for me, I have to do a little bit higher volume for my upper body and then lower volume for like my legs and stuff like that. So it is going to be muscle dependent. And look, the best thing you can do is just stay consistent with training because lifting weights is going to get you 90% of the way there. The rest of it, you'll figure this stuff out over time. So long as you stay consistent and get some data on yourself. Um, so that's the fir very first thing that I would do and focus on that first. And then from there, you can start to kind of change your style of training and see if there's one that works better um, for you or one you enjoy more or whatever it may be, because you also need to take that in consideration as well, too. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, let me know if you guys have any questions on anything I went over today. And again, I hope you had a great Christmas and I will talk to you later this week. Thank you for listening. If you want more free content like this, follow me on Instagram at JeffH91 underscore or visit JHHealth.net. See you next time.